podcast on this Sunday evening. Uh, tonight, we are joined by another guest. And with me, our co-host, is Peter Ray Allison. Good evening, everyone. And our special guest, Bryony Pierce. Hi, guys. I, I pronounced that right, did I? Did I, did I pronounce it right? Bryony. Bryony. Yeah, Bryony. Bryony. <laughs> so how are you? Well, how are things? How, how's, your, uh, how's your year going for you? Surprisingly well, actually. Um, this year has been the year of all of the books being published. So I've got three out this year and another one out in spring. So very busy. Um, and it's been weird, obviously, with lockdown. Um, but the other job that I do is mentoring aspiring writers. And of course, a lot of people during lockdown have decided that the thing they're going to do is write a novel. So I've been very, very busy with people approaching me and asking me to mentor them. Um, and um, yeah, just just homeschooling the kids. And generally, it's been an absolute nonstop craziness. So yeah. the mentoring thing, is that um, is that through a scheme or is that something you've taken off your back, you've just done yourself or...? I work for company, two companies, um, Cornerstones Literary Consultancy and The Writing Coach. Um, and so people uh, come to me via them. How did you juggle your own writing, <laughs> mentoring other people's writing and homeschooling and also just time for yourself? How did you juggle um, all those for? Gardening and shopping and yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Time management and some uh, early mornings and late nights, yeah. <laughs> I, I can go with that one, yeah. A, yeah, everyone's still asleep, get some get some time in. Get a little bit of time in, yeah, absolutely. And, um, well, luckily, although all three books were out this year, they weren't all written at the same time. So it's just the way the publishing schedules happened. Um, but I have had a lot of um, edits and I had a whole... I had... I had um, another one to write um this year so it has been has been pretty heavy with the deadlines wouldn't have it any other way so do you find you kind of write or work better when you have like specific deadlines to meet not so much that i do it better as that i prioritize my writing um so when i don't have deadlines i tend to do more mentoring and um coaching and when i've got a deadline i kind of think right this is actually time i need to ring fence for my own writing and that's when i really kind of have solid writing time so i had a deadline i think it was march so sort of january february march it was very much i said to everyone I'm going to have to focus on my stuff now. Um, but the last couple of months has been mainly mentoring. So, yeah, yeah I mean, like, I mean, how do you, do you manage kind of, it's a case of negotiation process where you kind of speak to your the people, your mentor and said, listen, I need to focus on this for a few weeks and kind of just like step back a bit from the mentoring side of things. There's a little bit of that. I mean, obviously um, when I'm mentoring people, you know, some of them get back to me very quickly. Some of them will go away for months and not get back to me for months when they're writing. You know, um, people's writing process is very different. So I don't usually have to say to people, I'm reinventing this time. Um, I just tend to juggle it a bit. And I have got a very, very, very um, busy Excel spreadsheet, which is a timetable. It's color-coded. It's all about um, Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> 
So as long as you say to people, you know, I can look at the timetable and go, right, I'm going to get back to you on the 23rd of June. Um, as long as they you, they know roughly when you're getting back to them, they're pretty happy to um, go with my timing. Yeah. yeah, given like your Excel spreadsheet, I'm guessing you're a bit of a, a planner. You like to plan out your novels a lot. I am the strictest planner you've ever seen. So. <laughs> I started it um, when I when I was first writing my first novel, Windrunner's Daughter. Um, I actually started planning. So I planned out the first 10 chapters very carefully. And then I got to a little bit of a roadblock in terms of the story in my head. And I thought, I'm just going to start writing because I really want to write. So I just started writing and thought, right, I'll just see where the story takes me. So, so the second half of it was... The industry term is pantster, or pantstering, as in fly by the seat of your pants. So the first half was planned and the second half was pants. And every single agent got back to me going, the first half's brilliant, the second half's total oh. drivel. Oh. So, so I was like, right, I know what I have to do. So what I do is if I come up with an idea, I kind of let it sit for a bit in my head. I'm not one of these writers that has notebooks and pens all over the place, shockingly. Um, I just kind of do a lot of it in my head. So I let it sit for a while. Um, and if the idea is still bugging me sort of a few weeks later, then I think it's probably a good one and it's got legs. So then I'll call my agent and say, I've got this idea. What do you think? And if she likes it, I'll then write a one page synopsis. So that's kind of like the thing at school, you had to write a summary of a book, um, one A4 page, this is what, what's going to happen in it. And in the synopsis, I make sure that I hit all of the important narrative high points. So the introduction, which should include your character's hopes and fears, and um, a way of getting the uh, reader to love the character, so pat the dog or undeserved suffering. Um, the inciting incident wherein you should make it clear what the character's goals are what the stakes for failure are introduce the antagonist if that's um if you're going to have one of those and make it very very clear what the problem is that the, uh, the protagonist is going to have to solve after the inciting incident there is the um false dawn uh, yeah false dawn rug pulling moment midpoint um nadir uh, turning point, uh, climax resolution. I think that's right. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's hard to do off the top of So I make sure that I've got all of those noted down in my synopsis. Then I go away and write a chapter outline. So I do one or two paragraphs per chapter. This is what's going to happen in every chapter. Then I start writing. So that's something that's really useful if you don't have an awful lot of time. It very much eliminates writer's block because you know what's going to happen in the next chapter. You're not kind of thinking, oh, my goodness, what do I need to write next? You know it, it's right there. Pansters tend to have to read back over what they've written to kind of get in the flow for the next day's writing, sort of get, get in the groove again. Um, I don't really have to do that. I'll read back a couple of paragraphs, but then I can get all going straight away because I know in this chapter they're going to have an argument, find the MacGuffin and, you know, whatever it's going to happen. Um, and like I say, it's really useful for if you've only got sort of half an hour or an hour to write because you're in between taking children to saxophone lessons and, you know, cricket clubs and all the rest of it. You can just get that, that bit done. Um, so, yeah planning works really really well for me 
Um, and it means that I know the story is well structured. And the publishers seem to like it. They like the fact that I'll send them a chapter outline that they can kind of comment on before I've done all the writing. So that when I send them my first draft, it's already a very polished first draft that they've kind of approved. Um, so this second book that's being published in spring, my publisher's like really delighted, but they're so far ahead in terms of, in terms of the timetable. It's already going to proofs and it's only June. So oh. yeah, um, they were like, first draft is pretty much it's there. You know, we don't need to do much else to it straight to copy editing. So nice. No, I mean, yeah. can I the way you explain, explain the planning is like you kind of breaking it down into more manageable chunks mm-hmm. where if you're kind of a panster you think right i've got to write seventy thousand words to make a write a book but as a planner you're thinking well no i've got to do this paragraph then this paragraph. it kind of it kind of makes it a bit more manageable in terms of oh well, let's just do a few paragraphs here a few paragraphs there and then building like building the foundations into more time manageable chunks isn't it yeah yeah, I think pan- being a good pantster is something that I think actually takes I know it's funny, takes a little bit of knowledge and practice. So yeah. um, you you need to know what marks you need to be hitting. You need to one of the things you know. Often people set a, a mentor or mentee will send me a novel, and I can tell that they're a pantster because they they're, they're throwing good ideas at the story but they're not appearing in the right place for the story. Yeah. And I know it's because they just thought of this great idea as they were writing, almost didn't want to lose it. So chuck it in now. Um, so once you've got more experience, you're kind of, you'll be able to kind of go, this is a great idea. It needs to go in the story, but it needs to go in three chapters, not right now. So um, I think panstering is almost more difficult to do well um, because you have to have that, that, that knowledge and experience behind you. Stephen King is a panster. Funny, yeah. horror writers do tend to be more likely to be pantsters. Dean Coots, I think, is a pantster. Oh, okay. Um, so, and I wonder whether that's because almost as they're writing, if something surprises or scares them, they know it's going to surprise or scare the reader. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, as you know, Stephen King's got decades and decades of experience writing. Yeah. writing. I can imagine a lot of that. It almost comes intuitive for him. Yes, exactly. It, 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 you get to the point where it comes intuitively, but you have to get to the point where it is intuitive, I think, before you can do it well. Until that point, I think I think it's more important for, um, I want to say younger writers, but you could have an 80-year-old who's, but, but you know, someone who's less experienced, um, it's it's better to be a planner, better to, better to plot um, in yeah. my Ur- Urban Tripper says on YouTube, a uh, big hello to the amazing Byro. Sorry, Bryony. Uh, and then it hey, says, Hey, how you doing, dude? Uh, we've got punster, a new word, very funny. One yeah. <laughs> um, when you've been planning um, your story and actually in the process of writing it, have you kind of suddenly just kind of had a surprise, like a, a moment of revelation, like, oh, I could do this now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and one of the things, of course, the advantage of the internet is that, you know, as I'm writing, I research. So, for example, um, with Raising Hell, my most recent one that's just come out, um, I was researching things like um, spells um, and sort of um, Latin and Druids and um, some lovely um, protection sigils and that sort of thing as I'm Beautiful, isn't it? Um, so 
of course, as I'm doing that research, I occasionally come up with something that's just so completely brilliant that isn't in the plan. And so I do give myself scope to go, you know what, this thing that I've just found out is so utterly awesome. It's going to have to go in the book. Um, so the very obvious one that sort of springs to mind is in Angel's Fury, my very first novel, um, wherein I was doing research because the character is a reincarnation actually of a Nazi war criminal, funnily enough. Um, and so I was doing research on um, the Nazis and the Second World War. And I came across this thing called the Milgram experiment, which a lot of people will know about. Yeah. Um, that completely brilliant one done in Yale in, I think, the 60s by, by Milgram, who wanted to know if Nazis were kind of, if Germans were more evil than other people um wh whether what happened in germany could happen in america so he did this fantastic experiment where basically people were asked to electrocute learners um so people people the learners were learning word pairs and they they were had to memorize them and if they got one wrong the um teacher had to electrocute them and every time they got one wrong the electric shock got stronger and stronger and stronger um, and they were told they were basically um, investigating the effect of sort of punishment pain on memory and in but in actual fact the learner was an actor there was no electric shock and what the people being observed were the teachers who were the men and women off the street just to see how far they would go you know would they keep on electrocuting these poor people beyond you know the beyond the point at which it was humane and actually two-thirds of people did so they carried on electrocuting people beyond the point at which it was humane um and when they did a similar thing in the night uh i think it was in the 90s in france um, they they did uh, a similar experiment, but they told them it was for a game show, and it was over eighty percent carried on electrocuting people. So Darren Brown, Darren Brown did something similar to that, uh, where um, he had it was about sort of um, hiding in a crowd, and he basically had like a game show sort of thing where everybody was wearing masks, and in in that game show it started off where it was like one of these things where it was like um, live cameras and they could all vote if something would happen to this person uh, on the camera and uh, it, at the time the person who was on the camera he, was, he didn't know anything was going on and Darren Brown was basically showing how far people if they were masked and in a crowd would go and they they, they, they pushed them they pushed pretty far uh, to the point where you know, they, they they try to get his girlfriend to break up with him. They you know they uh you know sm they smashed his his Xbox. Uh, they did all kinds of things. You know, and at the very end, he shocked them by um getting him. You know, they they faked this part, but they got him run over by a, by a car and stuff. Um, because of a situation that the crowd had had created by their sort of kind of mob mentality, and. Uh, mm -hmm. You should, you know, at the end of it, it's a really good watch. At the end of it, they all sort of kind of realize what they've done and they start panicking about, you know, is he okay? What's happened? And then he turns around and says, look, this was, this part was fake. You know, this, you did all this, but this part was fake. And this is what, this is what mob rule does. You know, the anonymity of wearing a mask and being within a crowd and stuff like that. It was really interesting. So it reminds really? me of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I read about that one as well. And 
So obviously I thought, you know, this is so brilliant, it has to go in the book. So I think chapter 13 of Angel's Fury is basically I just completely went right a version of the Milgram experiments going into this novel because I love it so much. So, yeah, I do very strictly pop, but I also allow myself space if I find something awesome when I'm doing my research to to put it in the book. Yeah, like allow for moments of inspiration. Mm, yeah. yeah. Uh, how much research do you? I mean, I am terrible for research, and I'm do I'm I'm doing some research on Chernobyl and folklore. And does it, as far as I'm going off on random tangents, I'm going really Rattle. deep dives. <laughs> and I have to kind of no, no focus. I mean, how do you kind of? I mean, the, the problem though is you don't want to kind of focus yourself too much, because then you kind of miss out on all the cool stuff in the periphery. But you don't want to go too fast. I mean, how do you kind of balance that? It's a difficult one. I mean, there's a book that I've written that hasn't been published yet that I'm debating whether it's going to stay in a drawer. Um, that I, it was a historical novel, um, sort of about witchcraft and stuff that was set that's set in 1634, and I did about eight months of solid research on this um, before I even started writing because it needed it, you know, because it's historical and I wanted to get it really, really accurate. I think with research, you have to be very careful that you don't get so excited by what you've learned that it becomes foreground in the story. You have to remember that the story still to be the most important thing in the novel. So you don't want to inadvertently write three pages about using um, your, the lie in urine to do the wash loads, you know, the laundry, when that's really not what the story is about. You've just found a really cool fact. So, yeah, I tend to research, pretty, apart from that historical novel, which, as I say, hasn't yet found a home, I tend to research more or less as I go along. Um, so here's this thing that I'm writing I'm not quite sure what the Latin translation is or I'm not sure um, I need a bible passage or I need um, to find out what how long it takes a train to get from Preston to Clitheroe you know I look it up as I go along yeah and that's yeah. kind of really focused yeah, because I, I mean, I remember uh, Mark Shadborn saying that um, in his uh, historical fantasy novel, um, Swords of Albion, um, he said, like, you know, he spent literally um, a day just looking up the, the correct terminology for one line, just for one piece of dialogue. Mm -hmm. And then he just basically go through all the different reference books, like, OK, how would this say this in at this time, in this moment? What words would you and how would they say it? And it's just like it's it's mind-boggling how much research people can do in, in the pursuit of their novels. It is. And and I mean something else I've done is I learned karate a few years ago because I wanted my fight scenes to be very realistic. I'm actually technically a purple belt in karate, wow. although it's been a little done it. Unagi. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um so you know, you sometimes read novels with these fight scenes and you just think that couldn't happen. Like, you know, it's utterly ridiculous. So I didn't want mine to be like that. I wanted my fight scenes to be realistic. And yeah, so, so you know, I, I learned to shoot. I'm actually a pretty good marksman as well. You know, uh -huh. so I, I do things like that to make sure that things are really as realistic as they possibly can be. Uh, 
that's why I also like to write about, you know, as much as I can, you know, places that I've visited or places that are like places I know well, so that I can add as much realism as possible. I feel like when you're writing uh, a novel, particularly a novel that has kind of supernatural elements, that the more realistic you can make it, the more likely the reader is to suspend their disbelief and really feel that they're there. So that when you do introduce thing that's supernatural, paranormal, science fiction-y, they totally believe it. They're totally taken along with you. Um, so yeah, um, I tend to set my kind of paranormal, supernatural stories in very, very gritty, realistic places. What's, what sort of yeah, um, what sort of weapons do you do you fire when you're is it just a rifle or um I fired the SA80 uh -huh. and um air rifle 0.22 air rifle and I've used um hand gun as well can't remember which one oh cool yeah I mean, what, yeah what you saying about um like kind of grounding your stories in reality when you have especially in a supernatural element it reminds you of, of the necroscope novels by Brian Lumley and because I mean, he's from the Northeast, and like that's where I was uh, born and raised. And I remember I had a, a year out of university, and I spent the time reading Necroscope and thinking, in Mason Stockton, I thought, well, I live a few miles from there, I'll nip over. And I actually find the graveyard he was referencing in his book, and I actually found the grave he mentioned. And just like those moments where you just kind of, okay, this is actually here, and I'm standing where he stood, and this is in this novel. And yeah. so you read, oh, oh. It kind of shocks you that much more, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean that's one of one of the nice things about the um, Weirdstone of Brisingamen, the Alan Garner ones. You know, he he based them all around Elderly Edge in Cheshire, um, and um, my girl on the platform um, is the um, uh, set a lot in Lancashire, Clitheroe and Warley. You know, which is where my husband's from, and obviously I visit quite a lot. And you know, I include things like the Honeywell's estate agents and and so on. Which, and what's been really lovely is since it's been published, you know, the guy from Honeywell's is actually you know really promoting the book, and it's it's really nice. Um, so I think it's great to set 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 things in in real places. I I think it works really well. Uh, Urban Tripper asks, uh, could you ask, uh, does she still keep her wand close? I do, absolutely. It is on the dresser next to the bed. I would go and get it to show you, but that would mean leaving the, <laughs> the, the, the podcast for a couple of minutes. But yes, I know exactly where it is. It's it's right in front of my mirror. Apparently Urban, Urban Tripper carved it for you. He did, absolutely. Um, it, it, it's very lovely, actually. And it has these lovely um, sort of little burnt um, places in it. And it's very kind of smooth. It's nice to hold. Much appreciated. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I want a wand now. I want a wand. I've got a, um, like, I'm not a massive Harry Potter fan, but I, I went with my ex to, um, we were in Disneyland in, in Florida because uh, our daughter wanted to go. And there, I went into one of the wand shops and you could buy them and you could use these wands. They're pretty, they're pretty nifty looking. And you could go around uh, the Hogwarts uh, that, um, well, it's like the what is it? Sort of Harry, Harry Potter Land or whatever, whatever it is, where you literally you know it's got Potter world. The, the yeah Potter World. It's got literally the, the, one of the towns sort of kind of spread out, and there's Hogwarts and stuff. And you can use the wand to do sort of certain to give you like um, 
uh, it's got like this sort of map on it and there's certain points within the area and if you do certain gestures with the wand things happen within the windows of the shops and stuff comes out and stuff it's so good and, like i'm not a harry potter fan but i thought it was really good <laughs> quite yeah, my son would have loved that my son is a huge harry potter fan so actually i think we have two or three of the harry potter ones around the house <laughs> 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 they don't do anything cool though <laughs> I've seen some people kind of have kind of hardwired the chip from their Oyster card into the Harry Potter one. So when they go into like public transport, they kind of just wave it at the uh, chip <laughs> reader, <laughs> and it goes ding. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, That's genius, and and I want one. <laughs> That's the problem. You wouldn't get anywhere on your journey because you just have people stopping you, going, "How did you do that? <laughs> Tell me how you did that." Yeah. Can you do one for me? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, one one thing I want to ask uh, Brandy is that you've done um, like you know, like contemporary thriller, um, urban fantasy, horror. What? How would you describe yourself? Like you know, you're not more you're more than one genre author. Like how would you describe yourself? Um, middle aged. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> um, I. One of the nice things about it, I mean, I started off in YA, and one of the nice things about being a young adult author is that it, it is this umbrella terminology, young adult. So um, bookshops, obviously, they've got they've got the fantasy section, the science fiction section, and the romance section, and so on. And then they have the young adult section. So under the young adult section, you know, all of my books can be shelved there, but I can write, you know, a science fiction, you know, I can write a horror. I can write, um, if I wanted to, a romance. I, I have not yet done that. <laughs> I wouldn't want to. Um, you know, I can write paranormal. You know, I can write dystopia. And that all nicely falls under that umbrella. And while my novels are all technically hitting those different genres, you know, sci-fi, horror, dystopia, paranormal, there's a lot of similarities. You know, my writing is always quite dark. It's always quite thrilling. It always includes strong female characters. Um, they don't always have female main characters. I, I do about 50-50 uh, male and female main characters, but there are always strong female characters in it. Um, you know, you can always tell it's my work. And I just think that because, you know, I like reading horror, paranormal, science fiction, you know, restricting myself to one thing feels a little dull, really. Yeah. Um, the adult novels that I've written so the first one's Girl on the Platform and the next one is called Little Rumours um, what's interesting there is that because that they're, they're called domestic noir thrillers so a sort of an it can happen to you sort of thing and what's quite interesting with that is I've been very swiftly very tightly pigeonholed you know they want missing children books from me okay um, so writing my adult novels i pretty much am now writing um domestic noir thrillers end of whereas if i keep writing young adult i mean just this year i've got a horror and an urban fantasy out in under the young adult umbrella so it keeps me fresh and in yeah yes yeah that's you, good that's, that's quite still... interesting in that i think pretty much 
every author that we've talked to has their own sort of kind of niche i don't think mm. there's been one yet that we've had on who like yourself has you know a, a broad spectrum of um uh what's the words that's like, yeah yeah just sort of, that, that that's that's very interesting that it's um usually people sort of kind of favor one discipline and, and carry on with it but that's 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 very interesting I mean, I also write short stories, science fiction short stories um, that I've had published a few of those with New Compress. So I guess, and I'm about to have a thriller short story published, um, I think Sam Howell doing a book um, with the charity Power. So I don't know, I just, I guess, I guess I have a bit of a butterfly brain, you know. (laughs) Well, yeah. You're going to have to bear with me one minute. I'm going to have to let this dog out. Pete, you can carry on. (laughs) Sorry. My apologies. I have the power. Um, Yeah. One thing I was going to ask is like, uh, when you're you're writing, do you you find some characters are easier to write than others? I mean, when I'm writing a female character, I'm very aware that I am like a white guy. Mm. And I want to kind of really sympathetically and accurately portray a female. Mm. I mean, how do you kind of try to get into the headset of someone, you know, of different genre, colour, race? Probably because I don't really think of them as a different gender, colour or race. I just think of them as a person. Yeah. And so, for example, I've just written my new book, Little Rumours, um, that I've just finished, um, Actually, it's from three points of view. Um, and one of the points of view is a Muslim woman. Um, so I spoke to some Muslim, you know, a couple of Muslim women, one of whom is my son's godmother, um, who I know well, obviously. And, you know, I got the details from, from those guys. But on the whole i just wrote her like how would i react in this situation what would i do um and the same with for example savage island where the main character is ben um a teenage boy again i just kind of thought what would i do in these situations and you know maybe the, the, the the things that kind of occupy the character's kind of mind the issues that they're more kind of focused on or interested in might differ but only to the extent that they differ between characters anyway. Um, And particularly once you get into the kind of situations that I put my characters into, you know, they're not worried about... (laughs) Trying to think of something that a boy might be worried about that a girl wouldn't be. Yeah. (laughs) You put them in a situation where gender is less of an issue. Yeah, that makes sense. Life or death scenarios. Yeah. Uh, people become people. And um, in Little Rumours, what happens is the, the Alima's daughter's kidnapped. And, you know, the way that she reacts as a mother is the way that I would react as a mother and the way that, you know, pretty much any mother would react if their child was taken. So yeah, it's about, I think, just remembering that people are people. And, and, and some things I, you know, I don't take on. Um, because I don't have the lived experience that I would need. Um, and, you know, that there are people who have lived those experiences who are excellent writers who are taking that stuff on. So, you know, um, I leave yeah. that. Leave that yeah. 
Yeah, you focus on you, you focus on you know, on what you know you can accurately represent. Yeah, I think so. Um, and and taking a few risks, like I say, writing a Lima, writing Ben, writing Grady. Um, but for example, my my new book, the one that ha- is out in August, is the sequel to Savage Island. It's called Cruel Castle. Um, and in that one, I've done three points of view again. I've done or technically four points of view. So Gre- Ben, Grady, and Lizzie. Grady's a psychopath. So what's more interesting about him isn't the fact that he has a penis. It's the fact that he. Has he he's a psychopath you know this this mindset of kind of seeing people like puzzle pieces and sliding them into place so that he can kind of solve them and get them to do what he wants them to do that's the more interesting aspect of his character um so yeah I, i enjoy it getting into different people's heads i guess as long as you don't get it wrong as yeah as you don't pillage someone else's lived experience and, and and do it badly yeah i mean when i when i've been right doing some writing uh, i was writing a, a a british asian girl and one of my friends rima um is bame and i thought well listen i'm writing this character can you have a look at this and does it make sense and is it and just is it a you know, like it's not based on you but it's a character like of your from your uh, similar background um, is what I'm saying right and not total bullshit? And uh, said, so, no, no, that's great, that's great. I thought, okay, that's done, sorted. <laughs> but it's like, I'm just very aware, like, no, my guy, and no, you don't want to kind of, yeah, just, it's a very murky water. You have to be very careful in how you navigate. Yeah, especially, have you seen the men writing women? Uh, yeah, yes. Brilliant. Yes, that yeah. is again why I kind of was like, there you go, have a look at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But like I say, I think as long as you're you're focusing on making your character a person and not yeah. kind of fetishizing your characters, um, it should be fine. But yeah, you do have to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I always read those, those kind of men writing women feds just for an absolute howl. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Um, Okay, uh, what do you do when you chill out? I mean, you, you write tons and mentor. Out. <laughs> Honestly, um, I watch a lot of telly. Yeah. Um, I read, obviously. Who are your favourite authors? Who do, you, who do you sort of gravitate towards? You know, um, if I really want him to chill out, it's Terry Pratchett. All right. Um, yeah. I completely love his Discworld series and I can just read them again and again and again and again and still laugh. Um, I also really like Jennifer Cruzzi, who writes kind of romance, funny, um, so again, uh, sort of funny romance mysteries. Um, I'm also a huge fan of the sci-fi, obviously. I've just finished, finished, or I'm three quarters of the way through, I'm nearly finished um, Purgatory Mount by Adam Roberts. Um, uh, Dan Simmons, Hyperion, absolutely awesome. Oh yes, uh, I'm looking forward to the June TV series. There's there's a lot of great TV shows at the moment that yeah. are kind of keeping me occupied. So yes, um, once the world is a little bit back to normal, I'm very much looking forward to being able to go to the theatre again. Um, uh, and you know, live music. You know, I really miss live music. Um, so well, what do you what do your favourite bands? Oh my goodness! If you know, any. I'm listening to at the moment basically on repeat. Gang of Youths, do you know them? Okay. 
No, I've not heard that. Thing. So great. Um, his voice is beautiful. Um, I love Greg Gregory Porter. Um, yeah. You know, from the old days, I'm a bit of a fan of, I, I, I really love James, Stone Roses, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I also play the cello. That, wow, that's okay. Beautiful. Oh, wow. Yeah, so um, I, I started learning about three years ago now. Um, and I'm doing my grade six, so wow. <laughs> I, I just really enjoy it. I really, really love it, and, and yeah, um, it's it's something because you have to focus because it's a completely different discipline. Like I couldn't even read music before, really. So I have to focus on it so strongly. My brain is not going, you know, feed the cat, do the laundry the children do the gardening you've got some weeding to do what about this mentoring stuff Lovely, you know it kind of shuts my brain off and i focus only on the cello and only on the music so that's something that i do to relax definitely that's a lot of <laughs> that's a lot of strings to the, oh, the, the proverbial bow you've got like karate well, cello um i play board games all the time with the family so wow. in fact this, this weekend we've been playing king's dilemma Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're playing a lot of Gloomhaven at the moment. Wow. We are. That's a big oh, game. That's a big game. Are into it? We are, but um, we're fighting. We're fighting a um Drake or a dragon up on the Ice Crag Peak at the moment, and yeah, we love that kind of stuff. I've just got cupboards behind me, just cupboards and cupboards. Book books on the top, board games on the bottom. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you played Mansions of Madness? Yes, Mansion Madness. That's great. Yeah, a lot of fun. And um, Betrayal at the House on the Hill, we love. Yes. Well. Yeah, yeah, we like that one. Arkazon, Karuba, all those. Yeah. Um, yes, but but at the moment, it's all about the Gloomhaven and the King's Dilemma in our house. I've wow. heard very good things about Gloomhaven. It's a huge game. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you would love it. What you need to do if you're going to play Gloomhaven, I have decided... Um, so they have a kind of prequel called Jaws of the Lion, which is a bit on Zatu. That teaches you how to play it. So, so the main Gloomhaven, the huge box, the 100 quid box, the instructions are terrible. So difficult to learn how to play. And you're constantly, I'm constantly on the internet going, what's the, you know, has anyone solved this? What do I do? You know, what's the rule here? Um, so they obviously realised that. So they brought out this prequel, Jaws of the Lion, and the first sort of, it takes you through how to play it very, very, very step-by-step. Nice. Um, step. So buy that one, play that one, then go into your Gloomhaven. And then you've got Frosthaven after Gloomhaven. But yeah, Gloomhaven yes. will take you. Oh, yeah. Play. It's really worth the money. And yeah. we like escape rooms as well. Um, we like escape rooms as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I did an escape room like online. Like, um, hmm. one of my the friends actually who lives across the road, um, works in the NHS and she won this competition to play in an escape room. But we played it online where this person walked around a room with a webcam on that their head, and you had to kind of basically go there, do that, to pick up this, shoot this, and that. I mean, like, I love escape rooms, and like, it was a really good idea. But I was like, really want to do an escape room now. Mm. Yeah, we 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 do it. We did a live one recently in Carmarthen. Um, oh, right. Great ones. Um, Bristol's got some good. We you know we do a lot of them. Um, yeah. We do a couple online. 
um, and I've bought some boxed ones during lockdown. Oh yeah, those escape games. Yeah, the escape games. And we also play Time Stories a lot during during lockdown, which is a very good one as well. I heard that one. Mm. I heard a Time Story. What's that? What is it? It's um, you get you get the main board, um, and then you get um, you buy little sort of fifteen quid games. That and you know once you play them the replayability is quite low, yeah. uh, but you know for fifteen quid for a day's gaming, and yeah. it's um they're kind of it they're kind of stories that you work your way through, kind of solving the mysteries and trying to um yeah defeat the bad guy and, okay, and cool. yeah, you sort of it it work it's a choose your own adventure basically oh okay. cool in 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 a group environment with yeah. um also you know fighting and dice and yeah it's great yeah. <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll check that one out actually <laughs> well sorry what did i get going on games no, uh, no, 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 but read watch telly and play games <laughs> yeah. i'm a massive i'm a massive kickstarter addict so i've got yeah. i've got all of the you know, when any new board game comes out i'm generally all over it like i just i just got one through recently do you ever remember a game from back in the day called crossbows and catapults which was basically you built sort of little plast- uh, castles out of like bricks and you used uh, these plastic catapults with uh, elastic bands to sort of try and knock down the your your opposite end sort of keep. Um, there's a new re-release of that called Cross uh, Catapult Kingdoms that came out and I was like, wow, that's pure nostalgia. So I, even though it's effectively for kids, I went, I went balls deep and I literally got all I got all the expansions and stuff for it and I was like saying to my brother I was like look at this this is something I have to bring this home when I come back next you know so we can play it again. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah I mean uh, we, uh, I have to be very careful on Kickstarter I mean I've just backed um, this uh, Vampire the Masquerade game uh, Chapters which is basically like a role playing game in a box mm. and it's just like it's I'm having that I'm not having that. And it's like, no, no, no. Curb yourself back. Yeah. Focus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you ever do Kickstarters or are you just kind of know just, just... I tend to um, buy my games from Zatu. Yeah, uh, Zatu, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't often do Kickstarters purely because I'm just not really aware of what's going on. Yeah. Um, That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was very tempted, actually. There was a gaming table on Kickstarter that I saw that popped up that I was so tempted it's not, by. It wasn't by Geek & Sons, was it, by any chance? Yes, and it just looked amazing. I've got and one like, right I got one right here. Oh, really? Yeah. They, we <laughs> we, we kind of, much. we used to sort of, uh, they, they we, we used to sort of kind of, uh, well, we, we still do. We kind of like, well, effectively, they sponsor us, so they give us one of these tables to play games on, and it's got a light. It's got a light lights on it, and it's sort of got uh, like three layers to it. So you've got a uh, plastic perspex layer for D and D maps and things like that. You've got a padded layer for you know whatever you want, which has got like the Geek Pride logo on it. You got lights, and then you've got like a table there just for sort of like you know normal table, and the slats come off, and it's awesome. It's such a beautiful, beautiful yeah. table. Little places for drinks and and little kind of things for all your little meeples and yeah and, yeah, yeah. Potions and it's just brilliant and the number of times we kind of play again we're playing a game on the kitchen table it's taking hours you know like talisman can take hours yeah. oh you play talisman brilliant yeah, yeah. <laughs> i love that game and uh, 
going and you're like well i've got to go and do you know do and then you and then you can't get back to it for a week because people have got saxophone lessons and you know yeah. all going on and then it's sat there taking up the kitchen table for a whole <laughs> week <laughs> it'd be great if you could yeah. and it could be a huge game with all the expansions yeah, yeah. yes um yeah i mean what we tend to do is like we tend to like take send over the board and just take a photo everything just to mark out where everything is we well, see if you did if you got one of the gaming tables you can just put it underneath it and then you put the slats over it and... yeah actually um okay now you're going to be we're going to be decorating downstairs like at the living room and the study and we want to get like a new dining table and he just thought gaming table that'd be good some of them are beautiful, actually, really yeah. lovely tables. And then you and then you kind of open up the top to reveal the game that's going on. Yeah, like, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's tempting. I might, might mention that. Before we start on the uh, podcast, you mentioned about Loki as well. You've been watching some of Loki, haven't you? Yes, loving. Love. I love Marvel. I'm a huge Marvel fan. And yeah all the films and all the rest of it yes so obviously we're watching loki and yeah it was quite it was just it was just quite fun because i was watching it and all the stuff with the tva and how they've um the three giant space lizards have you know decided on the one primary timeline and there's no deviation from this timeline allowed and they prune all the branches and um my novel wave function um, is actually about alternative universes. It's based on Homer's Odyssey, in fact. Oh, and the main right. character um, travels, can, finds out he can travel between alternative universes um, before he uh, and, and, and kind of gets lost and is trying to find his way home. But on his way, he realizes that all these universes are being pruned, and he finds out that, that the, the god figure has decided that he wants to eliminate, you know, man, free will hasn't worked. So he's eliminating free will by eliminating every alternative universe to get it back to just one. And then the idea being that every time someone makes a decision and an alternative universe is created, he just chops off the universe that's that's the wrong decision and you just stay with, with this central timeline. And um, It so sounds a lot like the variants. Exactly, yeah. And the main character, Kane, has to persuade him to allow humanity to retain free will. Um, so kind of, um, I guess, what Loki or Lady Loki is doing in uh, the programme, she's sort of reinserting uh, free will into the universe by allowing people to deviate from the uh, central timeline. So, yes. I, I, I bit the I bullet think, oh. to- I bit the bullet and got myself because uh, I I got rid of Sky because I just I never never watch it and stuff so I got mm. uh, I got myself Disney Plus the other day and stuff so I've got the uh, Winter Soldier and uh, sort of Falcon Winter Soldier to catch up on and uh, Loki as well though I've been, I have watched some bits and pieces about sort of like not spoilers but there's some like Easter eggs about Peggy Carter in the background in one of the episodes and stuff and yeah. how that her timeline is basically being expunged from from uh, the the canon because she's a variant and and things like that so because there's yeah. like there's a there's a bit in it where she like she pops through like a, it was nerdist i think that it, she basically comes through you, you see her coming through like one of the gates at the the, the back and they're basically saying well that's oh. basically you know the, the you know the tv shows which didn't do too well or they want to sort of kind of change things so it's like saying agents of shield and uh the peggy carter are uh, that those sort of timelines are now 
gone. They're not sort of kind of Marvel canon. And this is their way. Ta- having this sort of like variance thing is a way of sort of kind of getting rid of all that, all of that stuff. I have heard, I have heard John Berenthal, who played the Punisher, Frank Castle, in the Marvel Netflix shows, is supposed to be making a comeback in in some form that was within so the good. Marvel. So good, MCU. Um, he was very good at that. I mean, in fact, all the Marvel Dare, uh, Daredevil, uh, Daredevil, and Punisher were absolutely amazing. And I was, I'm gutted. They think you know, wasn't a huge fan of uh, Iron Fist. Um, Jess, uh, Jessica Jones was really good. Uh, even yeah. Kate, you know, Luke Cage was quite good. Um, but you know, Daredevil, some of the fight scenes in that were amazing. And Punisher, wow, amazing, so good, so good. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah, I mean, um. How, what do you what do you think of Loki at the, at the time? I mean, out of all the kind of the latest Marvel shows like um, One Division, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and Loki, which one are you enjoying the most? I think it's really difficult to say because yeah. all of these TV shows that Marvel have done, and really any TV show, yeah. um, the first couple are establishing and then it kind of takes off and then Marvel do these huge twists towards the end. Um, so I think because we've only seen two episodes of Loki, I think it's a little early to judge. Um, okay. But what's lovely about them, they are, you know, like me as a writer, you know, very, very different yeah. shows. You know, Captain America and Winter Soldier, <laughs> Falcon and the Winter Soldier, as he ends up as Captain America. Yeah. Um is very much a sort of a buddy romance, you know, fighting war sort of yeah. thing. It's a spy, yeah, it's a thriller. Yeah, it's, it's a spy thriller. Yeah, one um, division, you know, very much with the paranormal, and you know, um, that was just brilliant. All the different TV episodes, you know, uh, and Loki again is a buddy sort of comedy which I think is going to be very fun. Very interested to see where they're going with it. It could be the best one, but I can't judge because I don't know where they're going with it yet. I must admit, I I personally preferred um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier purely because I just really like spy thrillers. Yeah. So that kind of, and also, but I've got to admit, the one division was just a phenomenal piece of storytelling, just with the narrative techniques they use and just like really like inventive writing. Mm-hmm. And I thought, even I was like, and also completely different. One's like, a, one division is by is a very introspective, a study on trauma, mm-hmm. and like just what what the the impacts of what on one of the events on one person. Yeah. Complete opposite is Falcon and Winter Soldier, which is like a study on what happened to the world. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and looking at the politics of it so well, you know. Ex- yes consequences of everything that's happened it was great because i was able to cut because riley wasn't really understanding what was going on actually he's 12 so you know there and going right okay globally this is what's happening i was sort of saying you know imagine we as a family have been clicked out of existence and you know england desperately needs workers so they bring people in from the ukraine for example and they let them have our house and they've been living here for five years doing our jobs and then suddenly we get clicked back into existence and the government says to all these people from the ukraine we don't want you anymore naff off and riley was like well that's not fair i was like well that's the situation so you know being able to talk to him about you know the consequences you know, it make, it makes the films not just bang bang superhero special effects. It makes yeah. them 
politically interesting, I think. So I like the way they're dealing with that stuff. And then we're back to Loki, which is just fun and magic again. So Yeah, it really brings back to kind of the cosmic elements. Yeah. Of that, that uh, and, so, and also I get the impression it's setting up like the um, multiverse of madness. Multi- thank you. I was, I was thinking of Manchester Madness. No, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the, um, the multiverse of madness. And kind of, I think the way, there's a very interesting terminology dropped in as well. Like, oh, well, if all these events come out, it will be madness. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it's, I'm having a lot of fun. I mean, I'm enjoying like the the, the um, uh, Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston just interacting. Just those two, are comp- their characters, the way they interact with each other, it's just a joy to watch. Yes, yeah. They have a very interesting chemistry, I think. And it's like, yeah, it's just like, okay, this is enjoyable just for watching those two bounce off each other. He does and a really I'm good not- impression of uh, Owen Wilson. <laughs> Tom Hiddleston does a really good impression of Owen Wilson and stuff. He, he's he's done it. He's done it on the uh, Graham Norton show. But he, there was something that was on recently where he sort of like Owen Wilson sees him doing an impression of him. He's like, "Wow, it's really that's good. That's just like me." <laughs> <laughs> but I'm wondering. I'm thinking Mobius is someone like we're going to find out that he was someone um, who recruited in perhaps. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think we're going to find out there's a lot more to Owen Wilson's character than we than, than we think at the moment. Absolutely. Well, it seems very much a wild card within a organisation which is very strictly regimented. and re- Like, you know, when, when um, Lucky threatens someone, like, I'll get you like a fish. What's a fish? Yeah, see, that was Casey. And yeah. I read something that's suggesting that Casey might actually be Kang the Conqueror in disguise. But okay. we will see. He's actually played by a well-known TV comedian, Casey. So I kind Ooh. of feel like they might be doing something more with his character. Sets, yeah. Him as light relief in the background. So Set, Setting it up for something else. Yeah, I'm wondering that, yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Do you ever find yourself kind of almost studying the writing in TV shows? Or, or critiquing it for want of a better term. Yeah, being a storyteller myself, it does make it quite difficult. It's very rare now. One of the reasons I like Marvel is because I don't always see things coming. Yeah. Um, most things I watch, I see it coming. It's very rare that I read or watch something where I can't see the twist coming. Um or, which is more annoying, is if I've come up with what I think it's going to be and my idea is better, and I'll be sat there going, why didn't you do this? <laughs> you know, what you've done is completely lame. Um, so, yeah, I mean, every all my friends still whine at me. It's been so many times saying that I ruined Sixth Sense for them. Um, <laughs> And I hadn't seen the film. So to be fair, I wasn't like going, I've seen the film and this is what happens. Like I literally just almost saw the posters for it. And it was Bruce Willis and a small boy. And it was kind of, I see dead people. So I was just like, well, Bruce Willis is dead, isn't he? <laughs> and then everyone watched the film. That was like the huge, massive twist in the film. And I was like, well, cool. Like, what else was it going to be? <laughs> so... Yeah, so I, I very rarely get surprised. It's, so it's a bit of an, a bad thing and a good thing being a storyteller, I think. 
Yeah, I remember watching um, the American remake of Sherlock Elementary. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Uh, yeah. No, really? I, I didn't like Oh, I really well, enjoyed it. I the, thought it was really the, good. The necessities of television writing and budgets meant I could frequently guess who was the murderer. Mostly because it was going to be one of three guest stars. It was always the first guy. <laughs> it was always the guy there. Exactly. It's, it was... like, it's him. Yeah. Buy that, doing that. Oh, it was very generic, yeah. but it was enjoyable. But I thought, it's not, I like suspense. Keep me in suspense. And uh, it got to the point, the one with Endeavour. Do you watch Endeavour? I know of it. I keep meaning to watch uh, it. It is actually very, very good. But and and initially we were watching it, and you know it was really hard to guess who the killer was. You yeah. know, we're making it really hard. And then it got to the point where it, where it was just so ridiculous. Like they'd obviously tried so hard to make it the least likely person that you could sit down and watch it and go right. Who is the most unlikely <laughs> person who could never have committed that crime? He did it, and then you're watching. It. You know, it got to the point where it was where they'd kind of become unpredictable. Um, yeah, and Death in Paradise, where they always have the same number of suspects, and it's always, you know, it's always they found a way to do it by messing with the time. And yeah, so I think TV writing, like you say, it's limited and, and it becomes predictable. But but Marvel at the moment. Marvel might assert expectation, which is. Avoiding spoilers, shocking. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, I found that spoilers, while, while it's quite exciting to read them at the time, completely ruined a show for me. So yeah. I'm quite, quite glad that Marvel, I don't know how they're doing it, but you are getting no spoilers for, for example, Loki episode three, are you? So I'm really oh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, one thing that really, I mean, I love the writing in Sherlock with um Cumberbatch. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. The first two seasons was great. The last one's the a bit. Third, but then it started to go because it started referencing sense and mm. smells. And I thought, well how do we the viewer know that you're smelling that? Mm. Until and it's just like I'd like being able to kind of almost kind of you have the opportunity to guess. If you spot the right clues you can work it out. Yeah. But when they kind of meant, oh, well, I smelt that on them. But we didn't. How could we smell it on TV? I'm not sure if I, I like the story, the storyline with his sister, uh, the, the, the sort of the kind of last one, you know, her on the island and stuff. I was just a bit sort of like, yeah. mm. it wasn't bad, but it was just sort of like, it, it, I don't think that it series was a good. a popular theory that's getting traction that uh, Sherlock Holmes had a sister. Right. Well, you've got. Enola Holmes, yes. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah. That was quite good. That was quite good. Yeah, it was. But you know, it, it's one of the things that that I try and do as a writer, and it's a very difficult thing to balance. Um, you want to put, a, you know, I love a t good twist. You know, you, all my writing has big twists in, and you want to put in a big twist that makes the reader go, ah. But yeah. you also have to seed that and put in enough clues so that they can go oh yeah of course at the same time and it's that balance of have you given it away too early you know is it is are all the clues you're leaving too obvious or are they subtle enough so that if people go back and look at it again they can kind of go oh yeah that's where that was and so for example oh, i was going to say for example in the girl on the platform but i don't want to give away <laughs> I was going to ask, like, oh, do you have a favourite plot twist of yours? Yeah, but then you ruin it for people. 
Shh. <laughs> <laughs> Good, it'll draw it. I mean, my, the plot twist in my, my, my original One Angel's Fury, it's, it's so old now, it's published 10 years ago, so I can give that one away. Um, so, and I already did give it away, actually, in this conversation. So <laughs> it, it's a um, teenage girl who's having nightmares, and she has recurring nightmares about a little Jewish girl who gets killed during the Second World War. And um, it's a war, it's a war crime. And it turns out that she's been reincarnated. She's lived before and she's dreaming because she re she remembers this war crime happening. Right. Um, and it's only towards the end of the novel that you find out that it, she's 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 she wasn't the little Jewish girl. She was the Nazi war criminal. Um, and there's lots of stuff with fallen angels and, and evil and who you are and, and nature versus nurture. Anyway, um, like there's this whole thing about about you think she's a cute little Jewish girl and actually she's a Nazi war criminal. So that that was kind of, well, yeah, I did, I, I did loads of twists. Obviously, my short stories have have lots of tw nice twists in twists and turns. And um, do you kill main characters do off? Do you do do you George R R Martin people in Red Wedding them? Good question. Um, <laughs> Savage Island, I do, and and um, Cruel Castle. So. Savage Island, um, most of the characters are dead. It's a horror film, a uh, oh, horror book. Okay. Horror books. Most of the characters end up dead. Um, but it was quite funny. So for the sequel, Cruel Castle, um, I actually won an award for Savage Island. So when I was at the awards ceremony, uh, there were sort of 200 kids and they were sort of, you know, asking questions. And someone said, you know, is there a sequel? Is there going to be a sequel? And I'm like, everybody's dead. <laughs> Zombies. Not, not, I wasn't planning on a sequel. Mm -hmm. I was like, why, why do you want a sequel? And they were all like, yes, yes, we want a sequel. I was like, well, what about a prequel? They're like, no, no, it has to be a sequel. And I was like, well, <laughs> same characters are different. They're like, same characters. I'm like, oh, <laughs> dead. <laughs> They're all dead. <laughs> find a way of resurrecting a couple of these characters. That, 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 so, so I do, in fact, find a way of resurrecting these characters. Um, but there's a great twist in so Cruel Castle. Um, so Savage Island is set on an island, obviously, and it's a geocaching horror story. So they have to kind of do this orienteering and go to these geocaches. And in the first cache, they find a human tooth. And then each cache afterwards is worse. And people are hunting them and it's all awful. And so the second one is set in a castle in Scotland, um, which turns into a giant lethal escape room. Okay. So they have to solve all of the rooms in order to get out um, and obviously not all survive. Um, but they're kind of dealing with the trauma of what happened to them on the island and, and so on. Um, but so much fun to write and so much fun to uh, put in the big twist that I put in and create all these escape rooms and all these problems that they have to solve to to, to get through it um loads of fun so yes that was one where i had to <laughs> i killed all the characters off and then had to resurrect them again <laughs> i like i like sort of and i'd say i i quite like sort of um books where there's there's a twist that maybe feels like it's being like i know what's going on like, oh, i know what's going on and then you, you you're like i remember well, i can't remember what series it was it was the red rising series um 
the Red Rising series, and there's a bit in it where I was like, oh, Darrow, you know, blah, blah, blah. I know what's going on. So I was texting my boss. He, he got me onto it. And I was like, this is happening, blah, blah, this is going to happen. And then something completely different happened. I was like, oh, my God, that's the best thing ever. That's <laughs> just like, because it was completely, you know, it all tied in. I don't like it when it's so random that it has no, it makes no sense of being there, but it's sort of, it tied in so well to the story. I was like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense. Amazing. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's what you're trying to do with it. Have you read Samantha? You know Sam Howe, Sam Stone, um, yeah. uh, House of Killers. Not read that one yet. I keep meaning to because it sounds it's very spy hunty thriller, which is like like spy. You'll love it. But it was yeah. very much like the first. I was reading it, kind of going, yeah, yeah. I've seen all this before. It's Jason Bourne meets Killing Eve, and I know exactly what's going to happen. And yeah, I can see this twist coming a mile off. And then suddenly. It just, and I was like, what is happening? I went completely the wrong direction. And I hadn't expected it. And and it was great because, like I say, it's very rare that I come across a book that I don't, you know, anticipate the twist. So I, I was I was really I was really like, yeah, Sam, props for yeah. that. <laughs> it's like I, when I started first reading like I, I was very boring when it came to my sort of like my reading list and stuff. It was either like historic stuff, you know, you know, narratives about history sharp novels or lord of the rings and i, I it, it didn't really deviate very often you know, much from that sort of thing you know it was just there's a very sort of standard sort of thing to it and then um, um i got onto the george r. r martin stuff late because i started because my sister turned around and went have you heard of this art author called george r. r. martin i was like yeah I've, I've never read the stuff but you know uh, I, you know, because I, I said, oh, it's just more fantasy, you know, I've got Lord of the Rings, I love Lord of the Rings, I don't need anything different and stuff. And um, <laughs> she said, well, you know, they're filming Game of Thrones in our back garden, basically. So, you know, like they film most of it effectively in and around my house in Northern Ireland and stuff. You know, uh, my sister was in the second season. I've got all loads of mates here have been in loads of it and stuff. But um, yeah, that's that's sort of another point. But you know, she's like, so yeah, maybe she give a, a read to my, her and my father at the time they read it. Uh, and I got onto it, and I got so into it that I read five books, and these are big fucking books, in two and a half, like two, like I started the first one, say three weeks, so it was one week I got one book done, just on and off, and then two weeks I was on holiday, and I read like four books at the same <laughs> time, and I've never been so distraught in my entire life, and I'm not used to sort of, like I'm, I'm you know, in the Cimmerillion and Lord of the Rings, people, characters die and stuff, but it, it it's not sort of like, you don't have any investment in those characters, because, you know, it's so broad, and so, you know, dense, you know, as, as a book, you, you can't really sort of kind of, you don't understand them, whereas... The Song of Ice and Fire books, literally, that was the first time that I had that sort of thing. Oh, he's an awesome character. I like him. That Rob Stark's awesome. I like him. Oh, like you know, I like that sort of. Um, <laughs> I love that. Um, um, Syria Pharrell. Yeah, I like all these characters, and then it's just oh my god! And I remember getting to the point um, where it was the Red Wedding, uh, in you know that was the third book, and I was sitting there by the pool in Egypt. And I was getting, I was reading it and like Rob Stark sort of in, you know, in the phrase place and stuff. And uh, my s- sister and my dad are sitting there looking at me and I'm like, well, what's going on? Why are they looking at me? And then I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. Something just happened. <laughs> and then I was just like, no, no, this is. Uh, hello. Hello. Are you back? Yes, we're back. Yep. Sorry. Oh. I gotta go and plug my phone in. All right, okay. <laughs> ah, right. 
I'll I'll tell my story while she while she plugs her phone in. <laughs> um, so we get to the point where I was um, I was reading the, the the red wedding part, and I was just like flicking through it. My sister, and my dad are just looking at me like, "Oh my god, it's get, he's getting to that point," and I'm just like, "No, no." <laughs> No, and then it kicks in where they kill him, and I was like, "Oh my fucking god! What is it with these? Why is it this the author is trying to kill all these characters that I like?" And I think I got to the point where I got to the very like, you know, killed off loads of people who I liked, and I was just like, "I can't. Nobody is safe in these books. Nobody is safe in these books." And I got to the point where uh, John Snow in the fifth book has his neck cut. Um, by you know it's it, it, not like they, they like they cut his neck uh in um in winterfell and i was just like i'm out and I, i'm not fuck i'm not i'm not reading these books anymore it's just like i can't i uh, seriously what the f- and it took me a month after reading so many in two weeks i put it down and i refused to read anymore because i was like just killing everybody everybody i love is dead and i was just like oh my god and it took me another sort of you know, month before I finished the last chapter in the Dance for Dragons and stuff. And I was just like, yes. but yeah, he really knew how to sort of mess with my emotions. Have you seen, have you seen this um, George R. R. Martin reacts sort of thing? And so, of course, there's, 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 there's certain, so some people have read the books and some people haven't, obviously. And a number of people that ha- are watching the show haven't read the books, yeah. but they're watching someone who has so the person who has read the book knowing what's coming re- videos their friends reacting to what's happening on screen <laughs> so they send these videos to george rr R. martin sort of saying look at what you're doing to people you know and people are kind of screaming and ripping apart cushions and effing and blinding and all the rest of it so they send it to george rr R. martin sort of saying look what you're doing to people and they, so it's this video of him watching these videos and reacting and he is just absolutely wetting himself laughing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny because like i remember the red wedding is something i had to sit on for like six years or something i can't remember how long it was before yeah. it got to that point but it was just like you know a long time and i remember sort of my yeah. mate and work came in and he's just like oh the game of thrones my mate it's awesome <laughs> you know it's really good you know i love that john snow and i love that sort of rob stark and stuff <laughs> and i was like oh man and it's just like first one isn't it the end of the first series yeah and that that stark and then he got sort of uh and i he, he just sat down he was talking away about rob stark being a great character and you know this 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 and all you know the this happened and i was like oh dude you just don't know what's going to happen to you and stuff <laughs> and i was just like you know trying my best not to say anything and then he came in after the day after the red wedding and he was just like my mate what the fuck just happened and i was just like i know i had to sit on that for for years <laughs> now you know my pain i i knew that was happening and now you know how i feel it was horrible <laughs> <laughs> uh, i just want i just can't i just annoys me that one that the, the way they sort of tailed off with it at the end is oh, yeah. gave up caring about the gave up caring about it and it's annoying me that he doesn't seem to be that bothered about the books at the minute he says i've made my money now i don't seem to be that bothered about sort of kind of finishing off his sort of his sort of his epic and it's annoying because it was so good and i kind of wanted them to do justice to it i want them to do certain things i want them to have an ending which is like you know like I, I have this, I have this theory of how this, how the series should have happened, and I think how the book should end, where basically Littlefinger 
gets the throne at the very end and it because you know he was such an he was you know him being killed in my mind this is like it was one of the best characters in it he's been playing mm-hmm. he's been playing the game the game of thrones pretty much throughout he's been m- manipulating everybody and it'd be just so good at the very end if he you know john snow danny they're they're, they're king and queen or whatever and then he's like stabby stabby they're dead and the last scene is him sitting on the game on the throne the iron throne you know camera pans out or sort of explain it's in the book and explains you know him sitting there and he just sort of looks up and he smirks and that's it it's over i was like yeah that was so good (laughs) none of this you know we're gonna vote for you brandon as the new king oh democracy in the in the seven kingdoms fuck (laughs) off what no what problem isn't it (laughs) <laughs> that, that they got, you know, it it it's, it went away from George R. R. R.'s Martin Martin's writing and went into TV writing, yeah. Um, which I guess shows the difference between TV writing and book writing. And they bought Wheel of Time, and I just don't know how on earth they're going to do that because he died before the end, didn't he? So Wheel of Time was never finished. Yeah, so arc of, it's the arc of time rather than the wheel. Yeah. But inevitably, they're going to um, have to do TV writing to finish it off, aren't yeah. they? And I'm not convinced. I'm, I don't know whether to invest in it or not. Mm. Yeah, I mean, um, I've, I enjoyed the first season of um, Altered Carbon by uh, Richard, based on Richard Morgan's book, books of the same name. But the second season was just... It didn't work. They kind of started deviating, as you say, back into TV writing... And they'd only done some changes to the characters. Some good, some bad. Some didn't make any opinion uh, me. But yeah, it really, it just didn't engage me as much as the first season. I didn't read the book, so I, I enjoyed both seasons. The first one was definitely better than the second one. But yeah, I thought Anthony Mackie, you know, I thought it was very sort of good. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I remember Anthony actually talking Mackie, to... Sorry, Anthony Mackie lacked the intensity of the actor from the first season, fortunately. Uh, Takeshi Kovacs is basically a cold, you know, special forces trained killer. And obviously, I mean, Anthony Mackie is a fantastic actor, but he was almost too emotive for the role. Mm. When he should have been more locked down and more cold. That, 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 again, that's just my perception on it. Yeah. I mean, casting's another thing, isn't it? Exactly. Take the film Constantine um, with Keanu Reeves. Mm. I actually really good but people really hated people devotees of the of the comic book really hated the casting of keanu reeves yeah so um and ghost rider with nicholas cage you know <laughs> <laughs> nope. nicholas cage just yeah. doesn't give a shit about what films he's in he just does random stuff yeah. oh yeah, yeah but we'll say matt ryan as uh, constantine and the he's perfect and they cancelled the Joe. I know. And then he went to the Guardians. He went to what? Not Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, what what are they called? What's the other series? The time travel one. Yeah, Legends. Legends. Yeah. 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 I followed him across, but um, wasn't as good. It was all right, but um, a very different thing. Not nearly as dark. And you want the dark, don't you, really, with Constantine? With Constantine and the Hellblazer comics, you want dark. You want kind of your know, John to be kind of dragged through the coals of a broken glass and ground down into... Because that is what you expect in a Hellblazer comic, damn it. I have a feeling they're, bringing, they're doing another Constantine. Pardon, pardon they're making man as well, aren't they? 
Playing the what? Uh huh. I think Cash Up, sorry. They're making Sandman as well, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, I don't That is dark as heck. I mean, yeah. how are you going to do that in the TV? I mean, it is dark. And also, just the sheer scale in terms of, like, no, because they're personifications of, you know, concepts. Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, like, and it's like the scale of the visual effects must would have to be stupendous. Because, I mean, when you're in the realm of dreams, you can only green screen so much. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, yeah. You know, I reckon they'll, they'll, they'll focus a lot more on, like, the house, you know, Cain and Abel's house and stuff. Won't yeah. They? They'll do... But, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how they do that because the characters in that are really irredeemable and I can't see them working on you know traditional television yeah because you've got to kind of make them up the necessities of tv writing you always have to make them sympathetic so you can relate to them yeah but these are irredeemable characters that you can't not supposed to relate to exactly yeah so we'll see how that goes yeah i really hope we can't relate to them anyway (laughs) i suspect some tv execs just gone neil gaiman yeah tick yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah have you ever been tempted to do TV writing? I haven't, just purely because I don't know how to write a screenplay right. and it's a learn and I just simply haven't had the time to do so. Um, so, yeah, I, I think a lot of my books, people say that they're very filmic and they would translate across very well. Um and I write a lot of dialogue in my stories. I actually think, you know, I could do something like that. And I have been kind of tempted. But like I say, it's a discipline that I don't know the ins and outs of. Um, to, to do it professionally, I'd have to, I'd have to, I'd have to learn. Um, yeah. I haven't had the time. <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> right. Um, okay. Um, before we go. Uh, is there is what have you got coming out uh, at the minute? You yes, said you got three. You got three. You got three books. Uh, you think you got coming out? Uh, so the girl on the platform was out in April. That's my adult domestic noir thriller, um, and that is about a woman who's suffering from postnatal depression. Um, she's absolutely exhausted. She's working mum, and on the train on her way home on her commute, she is kind of dozing with her head against the window, and she sees as they're kind of ter- flying past one of these platforms, she sees a little girl getting kidnapped. But no girl is reported missing. Um, no one else sees it. And, you know, did she see it happen or not? And, you know, the book is kind of dedicated to her trying to find this little girl and save her. Um, but it gets very dark and very twisty. Obviously, it's being me. Um, and then Raising Hell, which only came out um, sort of two weeks ago, is uh, full on just loads of fun urban fantasy with zombies and hellhounds and teenage witches and um, a talking cat and ghosts and necronomic spells and just uh shadowy corporations and um it's kind of like this weird gory humorous 
um, kind of look at grief and loss. It's a bit weird. Um, but people are saying that it's got definite Buffy vibes. So if you okay. like Buffy, yeah. that's one. Awesome. And then Castle, which is out in August, is my horror, teen horror escape room extravaganza with psychopaths, uh, like from the point of view of the psychopath, which is tons of fun to write, um, and some massive twists as well. So, yes, escape rooms, uh, hellhounds and zombie apocalypses, or young mothers with postnatal depression they're the three to choose from this year for me <laughs> oh i'm going to check those out and can you see what you've got coming out in spring yet are you able to reveal or yeah spring um the book is called... um that's a bit of an exclusive it only got given its title the other day oh. what was is... that again sorry pete was messing with his microphone whenever you said whenever you said that <laughs> Little Rumours, it's called yeah. Little Rumours, um, and that should be out in spring, and that is about a Devon village um, where there's these three children, 11-year-olds, they're best friends, um, with their three mothers, um, one of whom has a very deep, dark secret, and the uh, one of the children gets taken, vanishes, and it's kind of how um, this village reacts to this kidnapping and who did it and why and this big deep secret comes out and it's um causes real problems so yes what happens to me and um why those sound great those are gone. i'm gonna i'm gonna check those out excellent thank yeah. you Right. Okay. Well, thank you very much uh, for your time tonight. Uh, we really appreciate that. Um, I hope you have an amazing uh, next week and uh, keep on keep on powering away. Um, so you've got. Uh, sorry, what was the la the next book that's coming out that people need to listen? Cruel Castle. So Raising Hell is out just just out in the last couple of weeks, and that is the um, zombie apocalypse, uh, Buffy vibes. And Cruel Castle is out in August, and that is escape room um, horror with psychopaths. Psychopaths in escape rooms. Oh, there you go. Check them out. Check them out. So for tonight, I've been Matt Geary. With me has been Peter Ray Allison. Good night, everyone. And our guest, Bryony Pierce. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.